you would this morning, take your Bibles and you will turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1. As we've been working through this Gospel for quite a while, and I know it's taken us a little time to come to the end, but we are there, 80 verses, 80 verses, but it has been good. Luke chapter 1, verse 67 will be our text this morning, we'll go from 67 to 79, and we will begin today examining the third song found in the Gospel of, of Luke. We will begin examining this third song that is found here. There are five total in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, and so we've looked at the song of Elizabeth, we've seen the song of Mary. Today we will look at the song of Zechariah, and then over the next couple of months we will look, see the song of the angel and then also of Simeon. And what we find here is, is that this is a burst of praise. Every one of them is centered around the, the birth of Christ. And so there's a burst of praise that comes out over the news of the Messiah's coming. Today's song, though, is quite interesting. It is the song of Zechariah, a Jewish priest. And the majority of the Jews, especially the priests, rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah, and they still do today. We saw this when we were in Israel a couple of years ago. They love Christians. They love you know, the fact that it gives them allies on the world level, but they also love our money. And so we go to the Holy Land, and so we come and tour, and they love that. But they do not believe that Christ, the majority of them do not believe that Christ was the Messiah today or even in the day of Zechariah. But we find here Zechariah, a priest who himself embraced that this child in the womb of Mary was none other than the one who had been promised to come and to bring redemption and salvation to God's people. He believed that not only was he the Messiah, but that he would come and he would save us from our sins. Which again is quite interesting when you think about it. Because the, the majority of the Jews wanted salvation from Rome. But Zechariah knew that Christ was saving us from something far more. That he was saving us from our sins. FPC, with every passing day, one of the things that probably breaks my heart the most is that it seems to me that we, are, that we have begun to, or we are, still watering down the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of soteriology. That like the Jews in Zechariah's day, we have no true understanding of who Jesus is and what he has come to do. We have no understanding of the, of the, of the work that took place through his life, his death, and his resurrection. We look at salvation through a lens of, of politics. It's political. We, we look at it through the lens of society and social. We look at it through the lens of, of moral and cultural but we never look at it through the lens of a spiritual deliverance from the power of sin, death, and judgment. But thankfully this morning, Zechariah's song, I've entitled it The Song of Salvation, is a beautiful testimony of what our doctrine is concerning salvation. Concerning the beauty of God's redemption of His people. And so my hope is, is this morning that as you and I walk through this, this text this morning and also next week, that today and next Sunday we will see the doctrine of our deliverance. 
Three things that I want you to see this morning. I want you to see the praise, the person, and the promise. The praise, the person, and the promise. Let's begin reading this morning, beginning in verse 67. Notice what Luke or what Zechariah sings. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished uh, redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. He has spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. Therefore, before him all our days and you child he's talking about his son john you child will be called the prophet of the most high you will go on before the lord and you will prepare his way to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our god with which the sunrise on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. We first see the praise of, of the salvation that is accomplished. Again, Zechariah's son, John, has just been born. He is now being circumcised, and all of this is taking place right after that. And so, so John is, is thrilled, he is excited, he is overwhelmed with what's going on. But there is more than just the birth of his own son. <coughs> He's actually, notice what he says here in this first word, his first phrase. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. And so we know this. This song has been entitled by many the Zacharias Benedictus because that, that first word blessed in the Latin translates Benedictus. So this is, the, this is his song of praise. This is his song of blessing. But it's not just because that he himself has had a child. Remember, Zechariah was old and his wife was, was barren and they weren't supposed to have children. And so anyone would be excited, anyone would sing a song on the fact that they themselves would be able to be blessed with child. But, but you don't even hear of John until you get halfway down to the, toward the end of this song. This is about the child of Mary. This is about Christ. This is about what God is doing through that birth. And so he is singing a praise to God. This follows after the circumcision of John eight days after his birth, John the Baptist. And you may recall that for nine months, maybe a little more, Zechariah has been, he's been deaf, he's been mute, he cannot hear, he could not speak. All of this was the judgment upon him, his, the punishment of God upon him for his own lack of faith that he did not believe the words of the angel, he did not believe the words of God. So you can only imagine for over nine months now what he's done. You cannot speak, you cannot, you cannot hear. He is isolated to his own thoughts. Now, there are some of you that would go well with, right? Some of you non-social people. I, on the other hand, would go stir-crazy. To not be able to talk for over nine months, Lord, take me to heaven now. I need to go now so that I can talk to you about this, Lord. But Zechariah is, is in his own mind, in his own head. 
And for nine months, he's being isolated to his own thoughts. So, so Zechariah has had time to think about everything the angel told him about his own child, John the Baptist, and the one who is to come after him, Jesus Christ. And John, in pondering all of this, in the moment that he speaks the name of John, his name shall be John, and God, he, this is an act of faith on Zechariah, God in an act of mercy and grace, we saw this last week, he, he reverses the punishment he now can hear, he can now speak, and the first thing that he does is he breaks out into song. Why? For God has visited us and accomplished the redemption of his people. Well, brothers and sisters, do you see what he just said? God has visited us. That word visit in the Greek, it means that you must look or examine. If you are a a hunter, you will know this. It it, it can be translated into scope, like a telescope or a a scope on a rifle. And so you you can see 100 yards, 200 yards, 300 yards, it magnifies that which is in the distance. But it's more than just that. It it, it means that God has examined, God has looked upon, that God who was on high, God who is way up there, has looked down upon us who are way down here. And God has seen, He has examined the misery of His people. And God has visited, God has come to help them. Think of it this way. You're in your yard and you look across the road, you look in the distance and your neighbor is struggling under some great weight. He's, he's struggling under some, some great burden. What do you do? But you draw close. You, you run across the street. You run to your neighbor. You, you go to help. Abraham is saying that the God of heaven has come down to visit his people with the very purpose of bringing salvation and redemption to them. He has come down to humanity to help them. To help them with what? With redemption. Brothers and sisters, the Greek translates into deliverance. God has come to deliver. If, you're deli- if you need to be delivered, that means you're captive. That means you're, you're in prison. That means you're, you're, you're under some great judgment of some sort. So God has come to deliver us from this. So the foundation of Zechariah's song is that it is a praise song to God on that God has visited His people for the purpose of their redemption and their salvation. We are a people who need to be saved. Amen? Don't miss that. This is a praise song you have sang all all morning long. We've been singing these songs. Praise be to God who has saved me. We are a people who are in need of saving and only God can accomplish it. FPC, I think many times we treat salvation like we are planning for a vacation or a retirement plan. It's just an eternal retirement plan. You just need to make your preparations. There's no urgency. There's no human peril. You're not in trouble because you really are a good person. We're all, we're, we're all good people. But the problem is, is that we're just, we just haven't made the right preparations. And, and you got you to get that right preparation that you make and get into heaven. So you just need to walk the aisle, say the prayer, join the church, give your dues. It's like joining some type of club of some sorts. Get baptized. There's your initiation into the club. 
And when you do all of that and you do it for, you know, till now, till you die, you know, then you've made preparations, you've done everything you need to do, you know, that you will make it into heaven and your eternal retirement plan is now squared away. But this is not how the Bible views salvation. It's not that we are good people who just need to make plans for the future. And if you do poor planning, then you end up in hell. But if you do good planning, you end up in heaven. No. Zechariah is praising God because he knows that we are a people who are in need of deliverance. We are a people who are in need of salvation. It views humanity as though we are in grave danger. We are in an urgent peril. Why? Because you've sinned against God. Because our father Adam sinned against God. And all of us have sinned against God. And God's wrath and God's judgment is going to fall upon all of those who have sinned and trespassed the law of God. And we are destined to face the wrath of God with no escape found in and of ourselves. You are enslaved. You are enslaved to your sin, to your sinful nature. And brothers and sisters, whether you know it or not, if you are not a believer this morning, if you are not saved by the grace of God, you are are bound and enslaved to face the wrath of God. And there is nothing you can do about it. But God, but God can do something and He has done something. God has visited His people. Unless God visits us and delivers us, we are doomed. And this is, the, this is the story after story after story from Genesis to Revelation. This is every story. It has the same pattern. You can tell every story the same way. Take Noah and the flood. Noah, there's a great flood coming. It's going to wipe out all of humanity. But God visits Noah and says, Noah, I'm going to help help you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to protect you from this flood. I'm going to, you're going to build an ark. I don't even know what an ark is. I'm going to help you with this. And through God's visitation of Noah, Noah escapes the wrath of God. He escapes the flood. How about Abraham and Isaac? Abraham, take your son. You mean the son that you promised me? Take your son and you take him to this mountain and when you lay him on that altar and Abraham, you take that knife and you stick it into his heart and you kill, you slay your son. And right before he does, God visits Abraham and says, oh, hold on, Abraham. I have a substitute to save your son. I have a ram caught in the bush to save your son. Is this not the story of Israel? We are enslaved to Egypt. We are physically in the chains of the Egyptians. And God hears and God sees the misery of his people. And he calls Moses and he says to Moses, Moses, I am coming down, Moses, to save my people. I'm coming to visit them. Is this not the story of everyone who Jesus healed? The lame man, the blind man, the deaf man, the mute man, the dead man. Every one of them unable to heal and cure themselves. But Christ visited them. And in that visitation, he he removes from them 
their judgment. He removes from them. He brings salvation to them. Beloved, we cannot save ourselves. And we need to stop viewing salvation as though it's just this retirement plan and begin to see it, that we are a people who are in grave danger. Or, or if you're a Christian, that you were in grave danger and God visited upon you with His grace and His mercy. This is the content of His praise song. And should this not be the content of our praise songs? Should should this not be what we sing every Sunday that we gather Sunday after Sunday and we sing that God has delivered me, God has delivered us? Brothers and sisters, the salvation was not God delivering you from something that you could not fix. If you could save yourself, if you could deliver yourself, these songs would be about you. If, if, if your salvation is, is brought forth by, by your works and your deeds, then why would we ever need to sing praises to God? We have to know that the content of our songs are, are songs that are saying to the glory of God who has delivered us. Or how about this one? How about the content of our preaching and the content of our testimonies? When you tell your testimony, brother and sister, do you tell... The testimony in such a way that God is the hero? Or are you the hero? When the sermons are preached, do you like the sermon that, preached, that, that, that the preacher makes it out where you're the one who saved yourself? Or God is the one who delivered you? If you are the hero, then what does that make God? Have you ever thought about that? If it was you that found your salvation and brought you to salvation, if it was your works and your good deeds, if you were the one smart enough, if you were the one who was well prepared enough to plan your your eternal retirement plan, and you are the hero of your life, then what does that make God? When he was the one to bring judgment and wrath against you, the sinner. Brothers and sisters, there's only one hero in this story. It's not you. It's not you. And we love the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe because they, we like to picture ourselves as the ones with the cape and the tights. Maybe not the tights, but the capes. And we swoop in and we save the day. Newsflash, you're the damsel in distress. You are the damsel in distress. You're the one who is in chains there on the, rail, on, 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 the, on the railroad and the train's coming. And the God of heaven looked down upon you from up high and saw you in your sin and saw you in your in your misery and he visited you to bring salvation and deliverance to you brothers and sisters we must see this morning that it is god who receives the praise for our salvation not us god is to be praised this song of salvation is a praise song to the god of heaven who visited his people But secondly, I want you to see that not only is there a praise part to this, there is also the person. 
For notice that he says, he continues, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And then notice verse 69, and he has raised up a horn of salvation. Now, because there was no one in Israel to save themselves. They couldn't do it. Now, we, we, we've already established that. There's not a single person who is capable in and of themselves to save themselves. So God has to raise someone up. In other words, God has to send someone, a deliverer. Again, every story in the scriptures is like that. There's a great big giant. We cannot defeat this giant named Goliath. God visits and he sends David. Moses is being sent. He is raised up to, to, and sent into Egypt. God always raises up someone to, to come and deliver his people. But who would God raise up to deliver us from our sins? He tells us the only one capable of, of rescuing us is the horn of salvation. Now, this term horn is not in the sense of the, 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 the shofar, the, the trumpet. We, we've seen that. We've even had, I even know people who have one and they, and they blow it, you know. It makes this noise. And that's what we want to think about. We want to think this horn is, is a musical instrument, but that's not what it is. It's actually referring to the horn on an animal. And so I'm picturing like a big 12-point white tail, right? You know, big, massive set of horns. You know what I mean. Y- y- y'all with me on that. But what that represents is the strength and the power of the animal. You see, for the Jewish people, the animal's horn was a picture of their power, their ability to cause damage and even to kill. In the Old Testament, the horn became the expression of power and strength. And so, so how does God bring deliverance to a people who cannot deliver themselves? Well, he raises up a powerful person. A powerful person, a mighty person who can come and to save. But since no man could ever save himself or bring redemption to humanity, God had to basically become the horn of salvation he comes down and visits us Emmanuel with us Jesus is 100% God but he's 100% man and so Jesus becomes this horn of salvation that can come and deliver now this is beautiful because if Jesus is perfect in all things and and he is he is he has no limits on his power he has no limits on his strength what does that mean for us that means that brothers and sisters there is nothing to stop Jesus from delivering the captives there's nothing to stop Jesus from saving sinners when I when I read this this week when I saw what this was saying you know what came to mind Revelation chapter 5. Just listen. Revelation chapter 5, beginning verse 2. John, the apostle, says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? Who is worthy to open the book and to break the seals? In verse 3, No one in heaven, no one on earth, No one under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. There was no hope. Verse 4, John, the apostle, begins to weep. He says, I began to weep greatly. He began to agonize. There is no one who is worthy. There is no one who is powerful enough. There is no one who is strong enough to open the book. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, he said, stop weeping. 
John, stop crying. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David. If you don't know who that is, that's Jesus. He has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And John wipes away the tears from his eyes. And he beholds, he looks in the direction that this angel is pointing. And it says in verse 6, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures, the elders, and a lamb. So he's a lion and he's a lamb. As if slain. Having seven horns. Meaning complete perfection, lacking nothing. Brothers and sisters, who is the horn of our salvation? Who has all power to deliver us from our, from our sins? Who has overcome sin and death? His name is Jesus Christ. It is that name and that name only by which men and women can be saved. It is Christ alone who saves sinners. Yet, dear friends, I am afraid that many times we want to look not in the direction of the lion and the lamb, but we want to look into the mirror and we want to point to ourselves. We want to look and believe that we have placed ourselves on the throne, that we are mighty enough. We believe that that we have the power to save ourselves, that if I just do this and I do that and I'm just good enough and 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 I plan well enough, I, I can do this. We believe that our good deeds are enough. We believe that we control our, our lives and our fate. And so therefore there's no urgency on our behalf to come to know Christ. I can wait. I can wait till I'm older. We also believe that we can conquer our sin. We, we really believe, I don't, need a, I don't need help with my sin. My sin is between me and God. And, and, and the only reason God needs to be a part of it is cause it's just because he's all-knowing. But I'll take care of this myself. I will cure my sin problem. I'll overcome whatever it is that I'm doing this wrong. Whatever, whatever problems I've got, I can fix this. And so we're never broken We never come to Christ poor in spirit. We never ask Jesus for deliverance from sin. We just come to him because we want our best life now. And yet a true person who is saved, a true saved person, is one who went running to the Savior as though the Savior was his only hope. How powerful is this horn of salvation? How mighty is he? Brothers and sisters, he was powerful enough to take your sins to the cross of Calvary. He was mighty enough and powerful enough that in the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes to the Father and he says, Father, remove this cup from me. If there's any other way, remove this cup from me. What was in the cup? The wrath of God. He was strong and powerful enough to drink every last drop of God's wrath for his people how powerful is he he was he was powerful enough that after three days dead he rose from the grave and brothers and sisters he is powerful enough 
that not only was he able to heal the physical sickness and bring people back to life, the physically, those who are physically dead, he is powerful enough this morning to bring those who are dead in their souls. For you are dead in your sins and trespasses. So dear friends, I proclaim to you today that the horn of salvation, Jesus Christ, possesses all power and all authority. And it is by that very power he will not fail in his mission to save his people. He can save you. Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. He can, there is no sin that God cannot forgive this morning. And you may be sitting there, you may be thinking, but he doesn't know what I have done. He doesn't know all that, that I have endured. There's no sin this morning that Jesus Christ cannot forgive. You need only to come and find that forgiveness. You need only to come to him and experience that forgiveness this morning. There is no sin that he cannot help you overcome. There are those of you who have fought sin for years and you have been been failing miserably to overcome your sin. You're struggling with your sin. There are those of you right now, you have a sin problem and you need help. You need help. I'm here today to tell you that your solution and your help is in the horn of salvation. By His power, you can overcome. There is no person beyond His saving work this morning. Isn't this something to rejoice in? There's no man, there's no woman, there's no child, there is no one that is beyond the saving power of Jesus Christ. Even the greatest or the most, the most wicked of men in our time and in history, the Hitlers, those people that you think that there is no one, there is no way that their sins could be forgiven. Oh, brothers and sisters, if we knew our sin, we would wonder how could our sins be forgiven? But there is no man, there is no one who can who not experience the saving work to cry, of Christ. Come and be saved this morning if you're not. Come, come to Christ this morning and cry out to Him if you are under conviction this morning. If, you, if you've examined your life and you see that there is there's no work within you, no work of salvation in you, know this, you are not beyond the saving work of God. But also... Those that you are praying for and that you are mourning over, those rebellious children, that wayward spouse, that aunt, that uncle, that friend, that person that you loved all your life and is now in sin and rebellion, those people that you look at and you just think, I just, I just want them to be saved. Brothers and sisters, this is our hope. This is your hope. This is their hope. Take the gospel of Christ to them. Tell them about the horn of salvation. Tell them about Jesus Christ. And may I also add this morning, there is no person that he cannot keep. But we believe in eternal security. Our eternal security is not secure because of me and my strength and my power and by my good deeds and what I do. I am kept by the power of the horn of salvation. That which he saves, he has promised to keep. And so this is why we believe in eternal security. Not because we are good enough, but because he is powerful enough. 
Oh, if you are in need of strength and power this morning, I pray that you would look to Christ and find it in Him today. But thirdly, I want you to see the promise of salvation. Notice the promise of salvation accomplished. Continue reading. He says, as he spoke, uh, he says, in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father. Notice He's singing in past tense. Notice that notice he, even at the beginning, he said, Bless me the God of Israel who has visited us. And notice that accomplished. It's done. It's over. Interesting fact. Jesus has neither been, has neither been born, lived, died, or risen. But Zechariah sings as though this salvation is a done deal and it is over with how can he be so sure why because of the faithfulness of god to accomplish his promises interesting thing the faithfulness of god has been the it's been a theme throughout all 80 verses in chapter one we have seen it over and over and over again how god is faithful to his word and Zechariah sings of this. It's in the song. Notice he says there in verse 69, the Savior comes from the house of David. He knows that this child that is in the womb of Mary is the fulfillment of the promise made in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, where God came to David and said, I will give you a son whose reign, who will reign on the throne forever. It wasn't Solomon, and it wasn't any of the, great, the sons that would follow him. It is Christ. He knows that this child will reign not only as the king of Israel, but he will reign as the king of the world, king of kings. And God promised it long ago. Or how about verse 72, verse 73, the promise of, that he made to Abraham, to the covenant. This refers back to Genesis chapter 12 where God told Abraham that, that, he would, that they would be a great nation, that Israel would grow to be a great nation, and from him who had no children would have an entire kingdom but he also promised, do you remember that he said that not only that, Abraham, but your people will be a blessing to the world. How in the world were it was Israel to be a blessing? Because from your nation, from your people would come a Savior. And in Genesis chapter 22, we get this great picture of this blessing when God, when God again, Abraham is told to take his son Isaac, to lay him on the altar, but he substitute a realm for him. He says, he says, I have a substitute for you. And this is a picture of the blessing that is to come from Abraham. Zachariah sings because he knows that God has fulfilled every word and every covenant that he has ever made in the birth of Christ. The salvation of God's people is as sure as done. Why? Because God keeps his word. Because God keeps his promises. And if God kept his word to Abraham, and if God kept his word to David, brothers and sisters, he keeps his word to us. He keeps his word in Jeremiah 31, verse 31 and 33, where he made the new covenant, where he said the new covenant is coming. The day will come, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel in that day, says the Lord. I will put in my law, I'll put my law in their minds, on their hearts. So I'll write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. 
Beloved, our salvation is not only made possible by God, but it was promised by God to his people. He, was, he promised that he would save a remnant, that he would save a people, that we, those who would repent and believe upon Christ, those who would, who would look to him and place their faith in him would be his people and they would be saved. Promised those who, this promise is given to all those who exercise faith in Christ. Dear friend, I tell you this morning that God is faithful. God is faithful to save. We see Zechariah's faith grew in this time because he meditated. And I'll give you two points of application for this. Zechariah's faith grew over these nine months as he meditated, as he thought through on the faithfulness of God. This was a man who was weak in his faith, who failed in his faith. He didn't believe it. He, he, he doubted the faithfulness of God. But over the nine months, he begins to think through this and he begins to see that God has kept his word and his promise. Our salvation is not just about making preparations, dear, dear friends. Our salvation is a promise given by God that transforms us, the unfaithful, into the faithful servants like Zechariah. Meditate on how God has fulfilled his promises. Give praise to God this morning that your salvation and your redemption is the work of God that was promised so long ago. God pursued you. God pursued you. Brothers and sisters, God has been pursuing you since the, before the, the creation of the world. God has been pursuing you. God is faithful to save. God is faithful to sanctify. God is faithful in all of these things. We have hope this morning of our salvation. We have the hope of salvation for others. Amen? We have hope for salvation for others. And all those that we love, that we wish and that we hope and we yearn for, Maybe this morning you're kind of like Zachariah. You have been unfaithful. You have messed up. You have sinned. You have done things that you should not have done. And you think, what hope do I have? You have the visitation of God. You have the power of Christ. And you have the eternal promise that God saves. But before we close, I want to show you this. Because Luke will once again write about a visitation. In Luke 19, verse 41 through 44, Luke will write this. He, he will write of Jesus who weeps over Jerusalem. He says, when he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city. He wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace... But now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and you onto the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not. Don't miss this. You did not recognize the time of your visitation. Jesus is prophesying that because the Jews did not recognize his visitation, they experienced the judgment of God when Rome destroyed Jerusalem. 
Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. Why? Because they did not recognize the visitation. They did not see their need to be saved. They did not see the power by which salvation comes. And they did not view Jesus. They did not hold fast to the covenant promises of God. And it would be so easy to point at the Jews and think, well, this is their problem. But no, 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 brothers and sisters, this is our problem. Dear friends, God's visitation is not over, but some of us do not view our salvation as a need to be saved. And some of us do not view our salvation coming by the only power that can save, which is Christ. And many of us do not hold fast to the promises that God made. Dear friends, I say to you this morning, God's visitation is not over, but one day it will be. There will come a day when Christ will return and everything will be said and done and it will be all over and there will be only judgment left. Zechariah recognized God's visitation. He believed that this child in the womb was his salvation. He received God's saving mercy, God's saving grace in his life. But those who did not receive, those who did not embrace this, received only the judgment and the wrath of God. Dear friends, I call you to examine your life today. Do you see the fruit of salvation in you? The fruit of the Spirit in you? I call those of you this morning who are under conviction. You are under conviction this morning of your sin. You are under conviction this morning of your need of a Savior. Repent. Come and repent. Find someone and, and, and confess to them all that is going on. Repent of your sins. Turn from your sinful ways and place 100% of your hope in Christ. Everything that you've got has to be in Christ and Christ alone and nothing else. I'm here to tell you this morning, He is very much present. His visitation is not over. Christ can save. He can save you this morning. He can save your loved ones this morning. He can save your children. He can save your neighbors. He can save your spouse. He can save your family and your friends. He can save our community. God can save. And we've been given a promise that God will save. So brothers and sisters, let us sing praises to the horn of our salvation, Jesus Christ, this morning. Pray with me.